Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. I am here with Roland Maymishevich. Roland is the co-founder and CEO of 20 Billion Neurons. Roland, welcome back to the Twimmel AI Podcast. Thanks. It's great to be back. We first spoke February of 2018, so quite a while ago. Uh, Our topic was learning common sense and physical concepts. And it sounds like 20 Billion Neurons has made a bit of a pivot since then, and, and we'll dig into that. But before we do, it's been a while. Give us, uh, you know, those who may not remember that show, a quick overview of your background. Yeah, happy to do that. So um, I've been in AI for some 20 years. I did my PhD at the University of Toronto with Jeff Hinton early on, 2003 and onward. Uh, more recently, I've been a faculty member at Mila in Montreal. And around 2015, 15, 16, I embarked on this uh, this mission I'm on right now with 20 billion neurons, um, co-founded the company with the idea to build an AI system that is much more of the, the kind of AI system that that is dear to me. That's kind of the, this, the type of, of AI that I'm interested in, um, which is human-like AI, an AI system that I believe is going to take hold in in homes and so on. Think about a C-3PO type robot one day greeting you when you come home and providing value at home. I, I realized over the years that the way that I think about AI is a bit different than I sense what how a lot of people think about AI. How so? When I think AI, I literally think about C-3PO. Okay. Uh, I, I think about human-like robots that can understand you and be with you and the companions essentially. And uh, I came to the realization over the years that the AI boom that's happening right now has a lot of people uh, associate something slightly different with the term AI uh, than that, than that that human-like companion. It's more like superhuman pick and place in a factory Mm, or or predicting Automa- hardcore automation in, yeah. uh, in in manufacturing setups or predicting uh, the best ad to show in response to somebody watching this video uh, and these kind of things, right? Algorithms running in the cloud, superhuman, um, very, very, uh, uh, let's say, directed towards uh, industry applications and manufacturing and stuff like that. Kind of um, narrow, single purpose in, in many instances. In, I think it's part of the of what this this type, of, if you even want to make the classification of it, if you want to yeah. think of this as a kind of uh, thinking of the, a kind of connotation, let's say, with the term AI, I would say, yes, it's, it's a very, very specific. It's a tool, a, uh, a very, very strong tool that solves a very, very narrow highly specific purpose, like a hammer uh, to solve a very, very specific problem um, rather than this, this, you know, bigger vision that a, a lot of us, I think, not just me, but a lot of us had in their, in their head when they were saying AI in the past, which is, I don't know, I'm sorry, but I don't have a better uh, metaphor than your C-3PO, mm-hmm. than your, your, your robotic companion mm-hmm. that is there for you and understands you and with whom you can have a natural engagement in the sense that that system understands what you're talking about when you're talking to it and, and has a, a shared mental model with humans mm-hmm. uh, to the degree that we can can build this kind of thing. 
And what I remember of our prior conversation and what uh, 20 billion neurons was working on was that you were kind of starting from the idea of, I think it was kind of connecting it to this broader vision of AI from the perspective of like trying to build context and awareness. And you said that, you know, as opposed to trying to identify objects and pictures, which is what a lot of people were doing, you know, at that time, uh, you were trying to identify actions in pictures and kind of more focus on the verbs than the nouns, so to speak. Maybe fill in the blanks for for us. Yeah, so if you look at where is the starting point for this, for, for your robotic companion that, that understands the world in a way that's similar to how humans understand the world. Um, for me, it was evident, and that's what I've been focused on also for many years at the university. It starts with video. Um, it basically starts with a system that takes a video stream coming in and uh, and then building a mental representation of what's going on there in, in front of the camera. So it has to be real time. In my mind, it has to be video. Um, and then later it can be accompanied by, by audio and language and whatnot. But the starting the seed for this kind of capability to me has been and still is uh, real-time video processing. And um, what we were talking, I remember what we were talking about back then was uh, uh, going from, from nouns to verbs, if you want, Mm-hmm. specifically in the context of video, because in, in images, there's much more uh, bang for the buck uh, that you get by recognizing stuff that's in the image. But once you talk about videos and then you talk about a human-like understanding of uh, the surrounding, the scenery and so on, uh, that should come up as a result of streaming this video in, then you're immediately landing at, uh, at verbs and, yeah. and adjectives and adverbs and basically a much more fine-grained characterization of what's going on than image goes in, label cat goes out. Right, right, right. It's right. Much more and, and some of the examples that you use, if I remember correctly, were, you know, if you have a, a picture of a hand holding a cup, you know, and you're trying to understand, you know, what's happening from a static picture, you, all you really know is that the hand is holding a cup and you could, you know, you could, your system could guess that the, the hand is putting the cup down or picking up the cup, but with a single frame, you have no idea. But then once you introduce this video element and you can learn from or observe from frame to frame, then you can actually start to label the the verb, the action that's taking place. And, you know, that is kind of the, the foundation upon which you're trying to get towards this C3PO. That's right. That's right. It's... um. Basically, the the realization that video gives away so much more than images that it's just inconceivable to try to build an AI system in the sense of AI as your C3PO by by looking at an image and trying to build recognition systems that can distinguish you know this object from that object and and uh, even action this action from that action if it's a still mm-hmm. still screenshot of that action um, you see so many things uh, like uh, occlusions, you can see that uh, something's happening, even though you only see half of what's going on because of because of occlusion. Uh, you see, you get an idea about temporal information, especially when it's real time. The system has to learn to, to build a mental model that is giving uh, justice to the physics and the, and the scene that's, that's unfolding in front of the, the camera, basically. Mm-hmm. And so early on, when we were doing this kind of experiments, we were we were making another bet here, right? So the the really interesting thing is that uh, 
we are ready. I, I, I deeply believe we are ready technically to embark on this more common sense infused, you know, understanding of, of the world and so on um, in terms of the tooling that we need and the algorithms that we need and so on. I, I think we have what we need. And it's essentially we have a way to get labeled data and we have backprop and we have uh, compute machinery that can train very fast on this kind of data. And I believe this is all we need to, to make a very, very big step into the direction of, of having representations that actually are informed about what's going on in the world and so on. And um, you took the first steps by building these data sets where you had to distinguish, I don't know, is somebody is somebody pouring something out of a receptacle or is it is somebody pouring it into and it's overflowing or not overflowing? Many, many different kind of distinction tasks where sometimes it's just a few pixels that give away what's going on in the scene. And uh, we made a big bet that Backprop is going to be good enough end-to-end going from pixels to concepts in order to figure out all of these little details in, in the scene to make those uh, those prediction tasks work. And so it was also a very, very big bet on, big bet on end-to-end learning. Mm-hmm. And um, You also so collected first- a, a, a pretty significant data set of labeled activities uh, in video. Yeah, so the, the bet being basically a bet on backprop, lots of data, and uh, the compute machinery all being ready, naturally had to involve uh, getting our hands on the data in order to have mm-hmm. that system do this stuff in real time. And so that was one of the early steps that we had to take in this organization, starting 2016, h- how to get our hands on the data. And um, we do this, we started to do it and are still doing it today using what we now call crowd acting. It's basically uh, uh, working with crowd workers so they interact with our systems in order to provide us with that data. And that's the opposite of what I would say 99% of data sourcing currently is in machine learning. We, we don't tag data that we get somewhere else, but we generate the data. It's generative data uh, sourcing, if you want. We come up with the labels, bizarre, bizarre things like, um, I don't know, pouring pouring this liquid onto, a, onto your laptop or something, or uh, looking at the camera while you're speaking to the device, or talking to somebody else while the device is on and so on. Um, and then uh, once we have those labels, crowd workers give us the, the data, the videos, um, by interacting with the system and recording this video. And uh, and that way we generated many millions of videos of uh, basically scenes, mostly indoors, not all, but mostly indoor scenes where people just do stuff and things happen to objects and uh, people engage with the device or engage with each other and do stuff and things happen, things fall, somebody walks, somebody waves, lots of gesture control initially, commercially. Um, and with that database, we just have been training our neural net, if you want, our one neural net, if you like, over the years, piling up more and more data over time, discovering holes, realizing that it talks to you even though you were not addressing it right now, but looking at it and, and stuff, trying to fix those problems, uh, trying to do a little bit of lip sync and, and, and gaze and, and uh, understanding more and more, uh, there's more and more finesse, all of the little distinctions that it has to learn and so on. And um, over time, this has grown into the system that, that's currently deployed. And um, that's basically able to understand thousands of things that could happen in front of the camera all by streaming in pixels and at this point pixels and audio samples on the one side and streaming out 
the behaviors that you want from the system on the other side, all trained with backprop and uh, end-to-end learning. You know, what I'm hearing thus far is kind of very much in line with, you know, what we talked about, uh, again, back in February 2018, Tom will talk 111 for those who want to look it up. But I'm gathering that, you know, something funny happened on the way to C3PO. And now the company has, you know, quote unquote, pivoted and offers a fitness app. Is that correct? That's right. There's a fitness app <laughs> in the App Store. It's called Fitness Ally when you Google okay. it. Um, and it's uh, it's a fitness app that when you open it, you're put in front of an avatar, fitness coach, that makes eye contact and uh, then walks you through workouts that you can do with this fitness coach. And um, based on this technology, uh, you, you guessed it, uh, what this avatar then does is it uh, sees how you're working out. Uh, after building workouts for you and uh, and it provides live feedback. It's very, very personal. It sees how, how you're doing, what you're doing and so on. It counts your calories uh, based on the camera input stream and all kinds of stuff. And uh, that way is basically a workout companion for you. And uh, the funny thing that happened in, in the meantime that had us embark on this, on this app, on this consumer directed app, really that, that it, this is, is that um, streaming pixels in, <laughs> And concepts out is very, very ambitious computationally, not just on the training, but also on the inference side. And uh, we still felt like it's good to make a bet that uh, this kind of thing will happen at some point, even commercially, um, because it's just so valuable. It's uh, having a personal companion. To me, it's like betting on, in the early 80s, uh, some smart people were betting on personal computers and uh, everybody was calling bullshit on them and saying, no, nobody, it's not going to be that billions of people are going to be sitting in front of their, Mm -hmm. some, some kind of terminal and typing and stuff like that. This is nonsense. And some people were betting against that. And so no personal computers are going to be a thing. And similarly, I feel strongly about making a bet on personal robots. If you want, even if those robots in, in, in their initial, those C3POs, you know, in their initial incarnation are on screen embodied creatures and not necessarily a physical a piece of met- metal with actuators and stuff mm-hmm. um, that giving us uh, lots of leverage with backprop right so that's that's uh, why i think this is how this is going to unfold in the first place um, but then there is a lot of use cases where this is incredibly incredibly useful to have and decided that fitness the, is a beautiful the, use case because your personal trainer that's accessible, but share some of the relevant qualities with a, an actual personal trainer. We felt it's going to be incredibly useful and having a conversation around how you're doing certain things, how you're improving over time and how you, how you can, uh, you know, fix your form in certain ways and so on. And also killing boredom that way. Um, basically having somebody with you, you know, that somebody around the companion, so you're not working out alone and then holding you accountable because it can count the calories uh, based on the pixels that are streaming in and so on and so forth. We felt like this is a beautiful beachhead opportunity to, uh, to get into. And so to go back to the funny thing that happened, it was in late 2018, Apple announced the latest generation of iPhones and iPads. And as it turns out, there is a chip in there that is capable enough to run a version of our neural net on device, battery powered, as these phones are, and uh, privacy preserving. There is no streaming anywhere. 
And that's critical. That's important if you are visually working out with, with the device and so on. And we felt, let's give it a shot. Let's see if we can take this thing, port it over to a battery-powered tiny device that has hundreds of millions of devices in, in stall base out there mm-hmm. and see what happens, <laughs> right? So mm-hmm. that's essentially what happened. Um, so your model it, is running locally on these devices and it is is the model primarily doing the inference of what the person who is exercising is doing at the moment or is the model also doing you know there are a ton of other kind of ai modalities in this vision that you've painted right. you know understanding how you know the you know speech or text of the person uh constructing generating responses to the person like how much of that you know today is kind of this model and and ml ai in, in general you know versus you know, this ML core that's being used to identify what someone is doing and then like heuristics or other approaches to uh, supplement. Yeah, so there is audio processing in there. So it does both. It does video and audio, but the audio is not going further than taking voice commands and uh, basically skipping exercises and stuff like that. Okay. Um, in it was it was a very very scaffolding kind of thing initially, where there is a lot of things that have to happen. The avatar has to has to be controlled. Voice has to be processed. Uh, uh, speech has to be output by the device, right? The avatar has to speak. Um, there has to be a, an understanding of how you're working. What, what exercises are you doing right now? There are these blocks, these 30 seconds, et cetera, blocks where you do an engagement with this thing. There has to be a bit of dialogue. There has to be a bit of multi-hop kind of engagement where if you start, if you, if you stop doing your exercise and, and, uh, and your trainer says, Hey, what's going on? And then you restart it. It has to show the right kind of sequence of behavior and response. So there has to be a bit of multi-hop dialogue and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And we are the the idea is that slowly over time, I believe this uh, this scaffolding is going to be eaten up by one big neural net in a few years. Um, but for us, the name of the game is replacing a bit of neural net over here, replacing a bit of neural net over here, in order to move towards that that vision where this is just one single audio visual engagement and it's just purely trained. And I see this similar to what happened uh, around 2008 and onward with with speech, right? There were these gigantic speech pipelines Mm -hmm. and it was good that they were there. They they were sort of the foot in the door. We had systems around that were around and actually used used by people and so on that could recognize to a certain degree what's going on. Um, And then slowly neural nets came in and were eating up this whole stack to the point where at this point it's there's lots of very far-reaching end-to-end speech systems out there and i think the same thing will happen with your on-screen c3po's with your on-screen companions uh, over the next years and uh and that's why i think the the community is going to be headed the beauty of this is end-to-end and backprop can reach very very far in this so the, the point at which you hit reinforcement learning and and, and other hacks and tricks that you need in order to advance things uh, is still far quite a bit out out there. How much of what you're doing with this fitness avatar is predicated on the model, the neural network that you built previously? Um, it's the same. So yeah. there is. So the the first things that we had to do in 2016 were: uh, can we even train a 3D convnet? It, actually, it wasn't even a 3D confnet. It was some kind of confnet with multiplicative mm-hmm. interactions and whatnot that where you stream in video and then it outputs a, 
uh, what, what it's supposed to do in response to that. And um, it wasn't clear at all whether we even got this to work. And initially, we made a, 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 a bet again at a test case where we just have video clips that are labeled, like a few seconds of, of video. And then uh, you train the system to take the clip um, as one big uh, whole input, and then it processes it with its 3D convolutions, et cetera, and then outputs what's going on in the clip. And that output can be very varied. It can be complicated, many different classes. It can be combinatorial and so on. And uh, we were crossing our fingers and hoping that once we pre-train on enough clips, streaming it in and then rolling this net forward in time and so on is actually going to work. And uh, and it's going to enable the system to then be reactive in real time to what's going on in front of the camera and so on. And that turned out to be right. So lots of the data is still video clips. And uh, and when you run the system at inference time, it's basically just rolling forward and uh, leveraging its internal representations to then determine whether you're stretching far enough, whether you're you're keeping straight, whether uh, whether you're better than last time in doing this and that, and and so on and so forth. Uh, it's the same network, right? So that network has now trained on a few million videos, mostly clips, and it has seen a lot of stuff. And uh, it's easy for us to, for example, to add exercises because. Um, it's it's leveraging transfer learning, uh, big time, right? It's uh, we don't need to start from scratch every time we want to we want to teach the avatar to recognize another type of move or or action that you do in front of it. And so, if we set aside quote unquote tra purely traditional approaches, a uh, a more traditional neural networky approach to this kind of problem might be doing like body you know segmentation uh, of um, kind of body angles and that kind of thing and and kind of building up a pipeline from there but you're you're able to kind of dispense with all that and just do kind of end to end straight from pixels to what the person is is doing based on that historical work that you did that's right and you'd be shocked uh, by by how far this goes uh, in terms of abandoning skeletons pose estimates you know there's a lot of libraries out there now where you you have a video or even an image Believe it or not, nowadays there's even libraries out there where mostly it's about an image in like this, and then yep. a stick figure goes out that says yeah, exactly. uh, key points and so on. And uh, you won't find any of that in, in this system. It just goes straight from pixels to saying, hey, man, you got you to gotta lift those knees a little higher or something. Hmm. Um, and so there is no, there is no bounding boxes. There is no uh, skeletons. There is no uh, segmentation of, of sorts and, and no temporal segmentation of this kind of stuff. It's just going straight pixels in responses out. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's working amazingly well. We did a whole bunch of tests on, you know, how far could we have gone if we had used those post estimation systems and stuff uh, as a sanity check at the very least. And, mm -hmm. uh, and it's just incredible. It's, uh, uh, not only don't you need any of that, but neural nets are very happy to just uh, 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 do this kind of tasks on their own if you feed them with the data. Mm -hmm. And um, now, once again, the the you brought up kind of the the key trade off, right? If you had a pose estimator and you're able to you know estimate your knee angles or your hip angle doing push ups, you could kind of put some heuristic on that. That's right. You'd That's be right. done. You, on the other hand, you did you need to go have a bunch of people or um, crowd workers watch a bunch of exercise videos and kind of rate the, you know, the push-up, uh, knee, knee, you know, uh, what did you even do? Did you kind of draw bounding boxes around knees and say, 
No. Um, no, no. <laughs> how much that's, of that that's did the, you need to do? That's right. That, that's right. That's the point. We don't want to. We don't want to ask the trainer to uh, uh, and tell it this is a knee and now look how, how it's moving and stuff like that. We want to tell the trainer, look, if you see something like this, say this. If you see something like that, say that. And um, everything is then implicit. It's so if you see a uh, uh, let's use that exercise, high knees exercise where people are lifting their knees and stuff and mm -hmm. it looks like this then uh, look this is uh it's pretty good but the form like i don't know the, the pose could be they, they could be like keeping their back a bit straighter they should look forward they should lift their knees a little higher and uh, they should go go a little faster or something like that and uh and that's what that's it you know and so then the neural net comes along it's it sees that video and just makes that inference and figures out that this is the issues that are worth calling out right now for example Is that a novel approach? I think a lot of kind of data labeling is, I guess, is often akin to kind of identifying features, you know, in the, your input image, as opposed to kind of this very, what I'm hearing here is like an outcome oriented labeling. That's right. It's uh, in, in the, in the language community, it's direct to intent as a term that is, mm -hmm. uh, that is used pretty often for that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's also in our audio stuff. It's also direct to intent. Don't, you know, don't, train a system to predict intermediate stuff. Um, we have failed so much with that, right, in the past. The speech taught us that initially. End-to-end -end learning is good. And it's actually the harder the task, the better it is yeah. if you give it the data, right? So it starts to, mm -hmm. to, gener to, it starts to, to generalize across concepts and it tra transfer learning starts to kick in, etc. And um, it's, it's, it's really interesting if you look across the history. It's like it started with in 2008-ish with speech. And then 2012, there was ImageNet. And then there were a lot of projects out there in early on when the ImageNet revolution, if you want, happened, where people went, okay, cool, end-to-end -end learning works well. Let's try to predict SIFT features or like, let's, let's train a neural net to predict like this intermediate representation and that intermediate representation. And, uh, and then uh, th this thing marched on to machine translation. And then there was a lot of talk about let's go, uh, instead of going end-to-end, -end, let's go and predict the past tree and then this aspect of the language and then that aspect and so on. And, and in all of these cases, the further you went end to end to the, what you actually wanted the system to do, the better it worked, ironically. And thus, basically, we have taken this, this insight and moved it to real-time video and, uh, and companion, kind of training a companion to do the right thing in response to what the perception channel tells you. It's, I mean, it's sort of that, that's what it is, right? It's like, how far can we possibly push end to end? Uh, bypassing pipeline for this kind of thing. And it's surprising how far this has uh, has pushed us at this point in, in my opinion because it's um it's surprising how homogeneous the system now is and uh, and that's actually what leverages the now the the iPhones and iPads and now we have an Android version and it's going to launch later this year uh, the hardware ecosystem is configuring itself to serve these kind of compute needs right like very very homogeneous very simple matrix multiplication, you know, same things happen mm -hmm. at many different places and so on, um, which is a, it's a different compute paradigm that's behind AI. That, uh, that is, I think, a big reason why this, this works so well and so on. And, uh, and being able to exploit that because you just have a very homogeneous neural net that is just a neural net, <laughs> you know, it doesn't need mm -hmm. to keep this around and keep that, have that module and talk that to each other and stuff. No, it's like, give it parallel hardware. It's going to, stream the stuff through that parallel hardware and it's done and uh and i i don't know i i just can't see the hardware ecosystem evolve back to 
weird hybrids and and stuff. I I, I just think it's uh, it's real now. You know, it's uh, massively parallel hardware and so on. It's just going to stick around and it's going to grow and. Uh, We're kind of uh, you know launching off this topic of it's just a, a neural net. Um, your early work was based on well, you mentioned kind of three D CNN architectures. In some of what you're describing, I could see a role for you know some of these large language model types of uh, approaches. Mm-hmm. Is there? Do you use any of that stuff? Is there kind of a hybrid approach uh, that is interesting or? Are you doing kind of you know end to end CNNs and and making everything work from there? There's a gigantic opportunity for the whole community merging uh, language and and video processing into one thing, uh, mm-hmm. because that's how grounding happens and all of that stuff, right? And that's mm-hmm. the long term bet anyway that we have with this and uh, that many people have is like why they are doing audio visual stuff in the first place. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's a, it's a huge opportunity. It's going to take a while, right? So right now we're in a phase where we're putting together this scaffolding kind of thing that I mentioned where, where the neural nets has to eat up pieces, piece by piece and so on. And uh, on the, on the word embeddings and, and language side, I think uh, this GPT-3 and whatnot are a beautiful ingredient there. And I think it makes perfect sense to mix these kind of things together because what you could argue that what big language models are missing is that wire to the real world that grounds those representations. If I walk up to this avatar and they say, hey, Ali, what am I holding in my hands right now? And the avatar has to respond, you're holding in your hand a phone and a glass of water, whatnot. Mm -hmm. And then I I walk up to the avatar and say, hey, Ali, what did I just do? And the avatar has to say, you jumped and you clapped in your hands. The word embedding for something totally unassuming, the word and, say, in these sentences, mm-hmm. the word embedding for and has to start to encode things like spatial juxtaposition, which is sort of an aspect of the word and, of the meaning of the word and, right? That's how mm-hmm. you learn as a child what and means. <laughs> It has to uh, start to conceptualize events like jumping and whatever you do. Similarly, it has to sort of use a similar representation as for objects, for events. And it has to start to reason in a way that's very, very different um, from how a purely text-based system reasons, if you want, about what's going on. And so I would argue this is a probably the biggest opportunity for the whole community to get into audio-visual dialogue, like head-on. Um, that way and and what's curious though is backprop is a motor for this uh, currently and i think it's it's going to push us way further than we currently have gone in order along this trajectory towards reasoning and and these kind of things Mm -hmm. there are uh i can imagine a a ton of folks that i can put up uh in a debate with you on you know both that statement as well (laughs) as uh you know, end-to-end versus kind of model-based approaches. There are a couple of, you know, strongly held opinions there that are not universal, uh, but it's super Indeed. cool to, to hear how you're applying them, which is, you know, what's what's interesting. What's the name of the fitness app? It's called Fitness Ally. Fitness and, Ally? Yes, A-L-L-Y. And uh, it's available in the App Store and uh, in a few weeks Soon on Android. Android. That's right. Awesome. Awesome. Any other uh, you know, updates that uh, make sense to quickly cover? Um, one thing that's worth mentioning is we have an SDK now. Um, 
uh, nice. that's available for download on our website, 20bn.com, 20bn.com. And so um, you're still kind of in parallel pushing for this kind of platform framework yes. enabling tech vision while kind of using the use case to mature that. Yeah, you know, you can use the backprop analogy even there. If you have an end-to-end an huh. -end reason for the system to behave in a certain way, there's no better learning signal than, uh, than that. And, yeah. and a utilitarian application that is just providing value, like making you fit and so on and healthy. It's a beautiful learning signal to see which kind of aspects of the world do you need to understand and, and when does it get really personal and, and these kind of things. And uh, mm -hmm. so we're sort of using Backprop also and that, that app um, where that has to survive in face of consumers playing with it and, and wanting value from it and so on. Uh, it's, a, it's a great way to inform the whole, the neural net in the end, right? The neural net and the data operation and everything about what, what's next, what features is it lacking and so on and so forth. So backprop all over the place. Awesome. I, lo I love that application of uh, that analogy. Well, Roland, it's so great to catch up with you. Wish you the kind of best of continued luck and uh, let's stay in touch. It's been a pleasure yet again. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks, Roland. All right, everyone. That's our show for today. To learn more about today's guest or the topics mentioned in this interview, visit twimmelai.com. Of course, if you like what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcatcher. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.